Welcome to Beyond Our Focus. I'm Stefan, this is Amanda, and this is Let's Palaver About Word and Glass. It is the fourth novel in the Stephen King saga of books, The Dark Tower. We are going over the last two chapters. So we'll be starting off with part four, chapter four, called The Glass. It's a very short chapter, it's only like five pages. So. And if you're just now joining us, it is Monday the 18th. There's a calendar right there. Okay, I'll take your word on it. <laughs> the 16th is Saturday, so. I will still take your word on it, because I do not know. Oh, God. Yes, it's the 18th. Sure. Sure. Right. <laughs> I don't know. So, if you remember last time, our buddies in the red shoes have gone into the palace. They have met the TikTok man and killed him immediately. He's dead. And they had a nice conversation with... Flag. Flag. Martin. Martin, Merlin. Whatever. Is he the same as... Um... Why can't I remember his name now? I don't know. The guy that was behind the entire war... Why am I drawing a blank? I don't know what you're talking about. The, everyone serves him. They were getting the horses and stuff for him. They uh, were... No, I don't... Not the same dude. Not in okay. my opinion. Um, the, 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 the guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's Ugh. complete blank right now. Hell, um, Farson? Farson. There we go. John Farson? Yeah, John Farson. No, no, no. No, okay. Uh, pretty sure. At least I don't... I'm, he... Because even in... Then, he was being... The, he was Farson's wizard. Oh, yeah. That's right. Got it. Yay! Good job. Anyways, they have had a conversation with him. Roland's this close to killing him. Really tried to kill him. They've got the ball, and Roland will show them his final... Not even his... Show him the second to last final story that they need to see. Yes. They are not allowed to leave or find the beam again until... Now I want to call him Randall. Roland not tells them, shows them this story. I feel like it's been easier to just like say briefly real quick. Yeah, I feel like this is what happened. I'm really sorry about it. Let's move on. Yes. Seems excessive, <laughs> but this is what we're getting. So. so we are in the glass. Everything has a pinkish tint to it. We are in the glass. Yes, we are being shown something. Jake of New York stands in an upper corridor of the Great Hall of Gilead. More castle here in the Greenland than Mayor Thorne's. How, Mayor's house. I don't know why they say Thorne. <laughs> but he looks around and sees Susanna and Eddie standing by a tapestry. Their eyes big, their hands tightly entwined, and Susanna is standing. She has her legs back, at least for now. And what she called cappies have been replaced by a pair of ruby slippers exactly like those Dorothy wore when she stepped upon, out upon her version of the Great Road to find the Wizard of Oz. That bum hug. She has her legs because this is a dream, Jake thinks, but knows it is no dream. He looks down and sees Oi looking up at him with anxious, intelligent, gold-ringed eyes. He is still wearing the red booties. Jake bent and stroked Oi's head. Let's see. No, this isn't a dream. Yes. 
It's a memory? It's that middle ground. Because it's not really... Except, it's like a waking dream. Because they're all consciously awake, at least, you know, in their own minds. It's almost, what, astro, astro projection almost, in a way? They're almost like in Roland's dream. Dream hoppers. What movie is that? There's a movie about that. But anyways. Not Inception, but... <laughs> uh, yet, Roland is not here, he realizes. They are four instead of five. He realizes something else as well. The air of this corridor is faintly pink, and small pink halos revolve around the funny old-fashioned light bulbs that illuminate the corridor. Something is going to happen. Some story is going to play out in front of their eyes. And now, as if the very thought had summoned them, the boy hears the click of approaching footfalls. It's a story I know, Jake thinks. One I've been told before. Yes. Except, it isn't. But Jake has this this feeling, this sickening feeling. It's going to be the story of how Roland is running through the corridor when Martin stops him and shows him his mother. And that's when he finds out everything and gets pushed to fighting. Well, he chooses. He's angry and decides well, it's time. Yes, but that was the whole ploy. Was yes. that Mar- or, yeah, Martin wanted him to do that thinking he would be beaten and sent west. Yeah. Or east. East? East? West. West? 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 Okay. A man in the West can never leave there the we West. Go. My brain Our is master like... few can never really leave the yes. West. So, they pretty much... He, he wanted him to do that and get beaten. And it turns out that Roland was a lot more ready than he thought. He had originally <laughs> thought. It says... Well, he doesn't want to see... Now they will see all this. The sad comedy will go its sad and preordained course in front of their eyes. I'm too young, Jake thinks. But of course, he is not too young. Roland will only be three years older when he comes to Magus with his friends. Which answers another one of our questions. We assumed that Jake had aged a little bit by yeah. this point. Apparently not. Well, least, not so much. Jake is still 11. Well. Time moves differently in this world, okay? <laughs> or at least he's considering himself to be 11. This is true. Uh, and meet Susan upon the great road. Only three years older when he loves her. Only three years older when he loses her. I don't care. I don't want to see it. And won't, he realizes as Roland draws closer. All that has already happened. For this is not August, the time of full earth. But late fall or early winter. He can tell by the serape Roland wears, a souvenir of his trip to the outer ark, and by the vapor that smokes from his mouth and nose each time he exhales, no central heating in Gilead, and it's cold up here. There are other changes as well. Roland is now wearing the guns which are his birthright, the big ones with the sandalwood grips. His father passed them on at the banquet, Jake thinks. He doesn't know how he knows this, but he does. And Roland's face, although still that of a boy, is not the open, untried face of the one who idled up the same corridor five months before. The boy who was ensnared by Martin has been through much since then, and his battle with Court has been the very least of it. Jake sees something else, too. The boy gunslinger is wearing the red cowboy boots. He doesn't know it, though, because this isn't really happening. Yet somehow it is. They are inside the wizard's glass, and they are inside the pink storm. 
Those pink halos revolving around the light fixtures remind Jake of the falls of the hounds, and the moon bows revolving in the mist. And this is happening all over again. Roland, Eddie calls from where he and Susanna stand by the tapestry. Susanna gasps and squeezes his shoulder, wanting him to be silent, but Eddie ignores her. No, Roland, don't! Bad idea! No, Olin! Oi yaps. Roland ignores both of them, and he passes by Jake a hand's breadth away without seeing him. For Roland, they are not here. Red boots or no red boots, this quartet is far in his future. He stops at the door near the end of the corridor, hesitates, then raises his fist and knocks. Eddie starts down the corridor towards him, still holding Susanna's hand. Now he looks as almost he, as if he is dragging her. Come on, Jake, Eddie says. No, I don't want to. It's not about what you want, and you know it. We're supposed to see. If we can't stop him, we can at least do what we came here to do. Now come on. Heart heavy with dread, his stomach clenched in a knot, Jake comes along as they approach Roland. The guns look enormous on his slim hips, and his unlined but already tired face somehow makes Jake feel like weeping. The gunslinger knocks again. She ain't there, sugar! Eh. Of course he can't hear. Yeah. She ain't there. She ain't answering the door. And which one it is don't matter to you. Leave it. Leave her. She ain't worth it. Just being your mother don't make her worth it. Go away. Would have been for the best. But Prob probably. <laughs> yes. I agree. But he doesn't hear her either. And he doesn't go away. As Jake, Eddie, and Susanna and Oi gather unseen behind him, Roland tries the door to his mother's room and finds it unlocked. He opens it, revealing a shadowy chamber decorated with silk hangings. On the floor, a rug that looks like the Persian, the Persians beloved of Jake's mother. Only this rug, Jake knows, comes from the province of Kashmir. Which I don't know how he knows that, but I guess Jake knows a lot of things he doesn't know. <laughs> They're starting to hint towards yes. things. Yes. A lot in this 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 particular chapter. Yes. With a lot of hints towards what we find out later about Jake. Yes. On the far side of the parlor. Okay. Yeah, we're just literally yeah. just some descriptions here. Pretty much, it's him looking on looking around the room and recognizing things, recognizing it as the same room. That it was when Gabrielle Deschain was doing things with Martin. <laughs> uh, but Roland doesn't hear, because he doesn't hear anything they're trying to say no. to him. Mother, he calls, and even his voice is the same. Jake would know it anywhere. Oh, that's what we missed. It was Jake observes a pair of shoes, black, not red, beneath the drapes flanking the shuttered window. Yes, yes. Semi-important at this point. Yeah, and that's why they were shouting at him. You have some shoes there, buddy. <laughs> There's some freaking shoes hiding over there behind those drapes. You should pay attention. But he doesn't see it. But it is such a magical, fresh version of it. Young and uncracked by all the years of dust and wind and cigarette smoke. Mother, it's Roland. I want to talk to you. Still, no answer. 
He walks down the short hall, which leads to the bedroom. Partner Jake wants to stay here in the parlor, to go to that dream and yank it aside. But he knows this isn't the way it's supposed to go. Even if he tries, he doubts it would do any good. His hands would likely pass right through, like a hand of a ghost. Yeah, I mean, you can't change anything. <laughs> you can't do anything at all. Roland stands looking at the bed against the room's left wall. He looks at it as if he is hypnotized. Either imagining things that Martin was doing with his mother, or imagining a bed he never got to sleep in with Susan. Susan. Says, uh, The gunslinger shakes himself and comes back from whatever thoughts have seized his mind. On his feet are those terrible boots. In this dim light, they look like the boots of a man who has walked through a creek of blood. Mother! He takes a step toward the bed and actually bends a little, as if he thinks she might be hiding under it. If she's been hiding, however, it wasn't there. The shoes which Jake saw beneath the drape were women's shoes, and the shape which now stands at the end of the short corridor, just outside the bedroom door, is wearing a dress. Jake can see it's him, and he sees more than that. Um, pretty much he understands what's what's going on, the whole relationship between the mother and Stephen and everything that happened. Yeah, because he has a jacked up relationship with his parents. Yeah. It says, This is nothing Jake has been told, but he knows somehow. He has shared Kef with his mother and father, and he knows what he knows. He knows something about Roland as well, that he saw his mother in the wizard's glass. It was Gab Gabrielle Deschain, fresh back from her retreat in Debaria. Gabrielle, who would confess to her husband the errors of her ways and her thinking after the banquet, who would cry his pardon and beg to be taken back to his bed. And when Stephen drowsed, after their lovemaking, she would bury the knife in his breast, or perhaps only lightly scratch his arm with it, not even waking him. With that knife, it would come to the same either way. Roland had seen it all in the glass before finally turning the wretched thing over to his father, and Roland had put a stop to it. To save Stephen Deschain's life, Eddie and Susanna would have said, had they seen so far into the business. But Jake has the unhappy wisdom of unhappy children and sees further. To save his mother's life as well. To give her one last chance to recover her sanity. One last chance to stand at her husband's side and be true. One last chance to repent of Martin Broadcloak. Surely she will. Surely she must. Roland saw her face that day, how unhappy she was, and surely she must. Surely she cannot have chosen the magician. If he can only make her see, so unaware that he has once more lapsed into the unwisdom of the very young, Roland cannot grasp that unhappiness and shame are often no match for desire. He has come here to speak to his mother, to beg her to come back to her husband for it's too late. He has saved her from herself once, he will tell her, but he cannot do it again. And if she still won't go, Jake thinks, or tries to brave it out, pretends she doesn't know what he's talking about, He'll give her a choice. Leave Gilead with his help, now, tonight, or be clapped in chains tomorrow morning, a traitor so outrageous she will almost certainly be hung as Hacks the cook was hung. Mother, he calls, still unaware of the shape standing in the shadows behind him. He takes one further step into the room, and now the shape moves. The shape raises its hands. There is something in its hands. Not a gun, Jake can tell that much, but it has a deadly look to it. 
a snaky look somehow. Roland, watch out! Susanna shrieks, and her voice is like a magical switch. There is something on the dresser table. The glass, of course. Gabriella has stolen it. It's what she'll bring to her lover as a consolation prize for the murder of her son prevented. The, the murder her son prevented. And now it lights as if in response to Susanna's voice. It sprays brilliant pink light up the triple mirror and casts its glow back into the room. In that light, in that triple glass, Roland finally sees the figure behind him. Christ, Eddie Dean shrieks, horrified. Oh, Christ, Roland, that's not your mother. That's, it's not even a woman. Not really. Not anymore. It is a kind of living corpse. In a road of filthy black dress, there are only a few straggling turfs of hair left on her head. And there's a gas, a gaping a gaping hole where her nose used to be, but her eyes still blaze, and the snake she hold wiggles between her hands is very lively. Even in his own horror, Jake has time to wonder if she got him from under the same rock where she found the one Roland killed. It is Rhea, who has been waiting for the gunslinger in his mother's apartment. It is the coos, come not just to retrieve her glam, but to finish with the boy who has caused her so much trouble. Oh, damn. Rhea. God, Rhea. Now he tro- uh, ye trollops get, she cries shrilly, crackling. Now ye'll pay. But Roland has seen her. In the glass he has seen her. Rhea betrayed by the very ball she came to take back. And now he is swirling. His hands drop to his new guns with all their deadly speed. He is 14. His reflexes are the sharpest and quickest they'll ever be. And he goes off like an exploding gunpowder. No, Roland, don't, Susanna screams. It's a trick. It's a glam. Jake has just time to look from the mirror to the woman actually standing in the doorway as just in time to realize he too has been tricked. Perhaps Roland also understood the truth at the last split second, that the woman in the doorway really is his mother after all, that the thing in her hand isn't a snake, but a belt, something she has made for him, a peace offering mayhap, that the glass has lied to him in the only way it can, by reflection. So it's pretty much done the same thing that it did to him with Susan. It has shown him one thing. And he is just acting on that instead of... He acted on his reflexes. Yes. And a mirror image of someone trying to kill him. Yes. Uh, Or Suzanne is a little different on the fact he showed him the truth. 100%. Just not all of it. Yes, because that's always great. It It showed part of the truth, the good part, and left out the fact that she was going to die right after that. In any case, it's too late. The guns are out and thundering, their bright yellow flashes lighting the room. He pulls the trigger of each gun twice before he can stop, and the four slugs drive Gabrielle Deschain back into the corridor with the hopeful can-we-make-peace smile still on her face. She dies that way, smiling. 
Yeah, I mean, four bullets from those revolvers. She ain't living. Roland stands where he is, the smoking gun in his hands, his face cramped in a grimace of surprise and horror, just beginning to get the truth of what he must carry with him the rest of his life. He has used the gun of his father to kill his mother. Now cackling laughter fills the room. Roland does not turn. He is frozen by the woman in the blue dress and black shoes who lies bleeding in the corridor of her apartment. The woman he came to save has killed. he has killed instead. She lies with the hand-woven belt draped across her bleeding stomach. <sighs> and of course, Rhea is there, kind of in a way. She's like between worlds, almost. Because she can in interact with them, but she's in that world because this she did this too i don't she's weird she's weird she's in the ball she's not in the ball i don't know what the hell's going on she's a crazy lady <laughs> uh, i've burned the stupid girl ye loved i burned her alive i did and now i've made ye a matricide matricide do ye repent of killing my snake yet gunslinger my poor sweet ermot do ye regret playing your hard games with one more trig than you'll ever be in your miserable life she is really really i guess i can i i, I feel her on that if someone killed my pet i'd be doing the same i'd be going on Again, john wick on people but <laughs> really should have killed this woman when he had the yes. chance killed snake killed her not just killed snake yeah he gives no sign that he hears, only stares at his lady mother. Soon he will go to her, kneel by her, but not yet. Not yet. The face in the ball now turns toward the three pilgrims, and as it does, it changes, becomes old and bald and rattled, becomes, in fact, the face Roland saw in the lying mirror. The gunslinger has been unable to see his future friends, but Rhea sees them. Aye, she sees them very well. Cry it off, she croaks. It is the caw of a raven sitting on a leafless branch beneath a winter-dimmed sky. Cry it off! Renounce the tower! Never, you hag, Eddie says. Ye see what he is? What a monster he is? And this is only the beginning of it, ye ken. Ask him what happened to Cuthbert, to Elaine. Elaine's touch, clever as twas, saved him not in the end, so it didn't. Ask him what happened to Jamie D. Curry. He never had a friend he didn't kill. Never had a lover who's not dust in the wind. Go your way, Susanna says, and leave us to ours. Rhea's green, cracked lips twist in a horrible sneer. He's killed his own mother. What will he do to you? He didn't kill her, Jake said. You killed her. Now go. Jake takes a step toward the ball, meaning to pick it up and dash it to the floor. And he can do that, he realizes, for the ball is real. It's the one thing in this vision that is. But before he can put his hands to it, it flashes a soundless explosion of pink light. Jake throws his hands up in front of his face to keep from being blinded. And then he is melting. I'm melting. What a world. What a world. Falling. He is being whirled down through the pink storm. Out of Oz and back to Kansas. Out of Oz and back to Kansas. Out of Oz and back to home. And that is the end of chapter four. We'll be moving into chapter five. Yes. Ugh, chapter five, the path of the beam. And I just realized about talking about the ball finally. It disappears. Yeah. We, we finally we figure, never find out what yeah, happens to it. We finally figure out, well, 
We at least get a definitive answer of the last time Roland has seen it. Yes, but yes. still, it's we gone. We don't know what it is. It's yes. gone again. <laughs> it's gone again. No yes. chance to smash it. No chance to do anything. It is gone. Yes. Because they're gone. Yeah. This is gone. We've, we've moved on. We've really moved on. As we'll find out in just a moment. My pretty. (sighs) Like I said, chapter five. The Path of the Beam. And the final chapter in Wizards and Glass. Not not really a whole lot happens in this chapter. This is a very plain, basic chapter. It's really just the aftermath of them waking up and then this facing could, Roland after this. Yes, this, this is a chapter that could be summed up pretty quickly. <laughs> but we're here. Now, like I said, home. Eddie muttered. His voice sounded thick and punch drunk to his own ears. Back home, because there's no place like home. No, indeed. He tried to open his eyes at first. And, uh, tried to open his eyes and at first couldn't. It was as if they were glued shut. He put the heels of his hand to his forehead and pushed up, tightening the skin of his face. It worked. His eyes popped open. He saw neither the throne room of the Green Palace nor, and this is what he had really expected, the richly appointed but somehow claustrophobic bedroom in which they had just been. He was outside, laying in a small clearing of winter white grass. Nearby was a a little grove of trees, some still with their last brown leaves clinging to the branches, and one branch with an odd white leaf, an albino leaf. There was a pretty trickle of running water further into the grove, standing abandoned in the high grass. Standing abandoned in the high grass was Susanna's new and improved wheelchair. There was mud on its tires, Eddie saw, and a few late leaves, crispy and brown, caught in the spokes. A few swatches of grass, too. Overhead was a sky full of still white clouds, every bit as interesting as a laundry basket full of sheets. The description that Stephen King goes into, like, it makes me paranoid. Because every time I'm reading his books, and he goes that deep into detail, I'm thinking, I need to remember that. There's something about that that's important, and it never comes back. Like him... Pointing out this one albino white leaf on this tree. It's important. It is? Yeah. It comes back up in a second. Oh, okay. Looks like... Yeah, I mean, it's brought up for a reason. I thought it was on the ground. But this is what we saw. It's the one, the, the one albino leaf. They talk about that again in a second. It's... I'm just confused. Because I could have sworn they found that on the ground and this one's still connected to a branch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did they say it was connected to a branch? At, and one branch with an odd white leaf. An albino leaf. Yeah. Well, they say the branch was on a tree. The branch might be on the oh, ground. <laughs> I'm just saying. Not that specific. That's all I'm saying. Uh, no. No. Hmm. It does. Was this Roland's world, though? And if it was, how had they gotten back to it? How should I know, Eddie croaked? And got slowly to his feet. <laughs> Wincing as he did. Uh, he didn't think he was hungover, but his legs were sore, and he felt as if he had just taken the world's heaviest Sunday afternoon nap. Ah, naps. Roland and Susanna lay on the ground under the trees. The gunslinger was stirring, but Susanna lay on her back, arms spread extravagantly wide, snoring in an unladylike way, like a way that made Eddie grin. 
Jake was near Bob with Oi sleeping on his side by one of the kids' knees. As Eddie looked at them, Jake opened his eyes and sat up. His gaze was wide, but but blank. He was awake, but had been but had been so heavily asleep he didn't know it yet. Gruz, which is a weird word, <laughs> Jake said and yawned. Yep, Eddie said, that works for me. He turned in a slow circle and had gotten three quarters of the way back to where he had started when he saw the green palace on the horizon. From here it looked very small, and its and and its brilliance had been robbed by the sunless day. Eddie guessed it might be thirty miles away, leading towards them from the direction where the tracks of Susanna's wheelchair. Thirty miles away. You win this pink ball Holy in the palace. Cow. You wake up or you get out of the ball somehow and we're thirty miles and just how, when, and, where, and why? Not, and not only are you thirty, you assume thirty miles away, but you can clearly see tracks from the palace to where you yeah, are. It's clear that y'all came this way because of the tracks of the wheelchair. It's clear that this happened, but how and when? Eh, no one really knows. He could hear the thinning, but faint. He thought he could see it as well—a quick silver shimmer, like a bog water stretching across the flat open land. And finally, drying up about five miles away. Five miles west of here, given the location of the Green Palace and the fact that they really, and the fact that they had been traveling east on I-70, that was the natural assumption. But who really knew, especially with no visible sun to use for orientation? Where's the turnpike? Jake asked. His voice sounded thick and gummy. Oi joined him, stretching first one rear leg, then the other. Eddie saw he had lost one of his booties at some point. Maybe it was. Cancelled due to lack of interest. Interesting. <laughs> I don't think we're in Kansas anymore, Jake said. Eddie looked at him sharply, but didn't believe the kid was consciously riffing on the Wizard of Oz. Not the one where the Kansas City Royals play. Not the one where the Monarchs play, either. What gives you that idea? Jake hoisted a thumb towards the sky, and when Eddie looked up, he saw that he had been wrong. It wasn't all still white overcast. Boring as a basket of sheets directly above their heads, a band of clouds was molding towards the horizon as steadily as a conveyor belt. They were back on the path of the beam. Woo! Our journey continues. Yes, it continues after that weird sidestep thing that happened. Eddie, where are you at, sugar? Eddie looked down from the lane of clouds in the sky and saw Susanna sitting up, rubbing the back of her neck. She looked unsure of where she was, perhaps even of who she was. The red cappy she was wearing looked oddly dull in this light, but they were still the brightest things in Eddie's view, until he looked down at his own feet and saw the street boppers with their Cuban heels. Yet these also looked dull, and Eddie no longer thought it was just the day's cloudy light that made them seem so. He looked at Jake's shoes, Oi's remaining three slippers, Roland's cowboy boots, the gunslinger was sitting up now, arms crossed around his knees, looking blankly off into the distance. All the same ruby red, but a lifeless red, somehow, as if some magic essential to them had been used up. Suddenly, Eddie wanted them off his feet. And he, he no, he starts getting rid of his, everybody starts getting rid of theirs. Yeah, They're like, we're fun. done. And then we're back, and then Susanna. Were we there? Susanna asked him. Eddie, were, were we really there when he... When I killed my mother, Roland said, Yes, you were there, as I was. God's help me, I was there. I did it. He covered his face with his hands and began to voice a series of harsh sobs. 
Susanna crawled across to him in that agile way that was almost a version of walking. She put an arm around him and used her other hand to take his hands away from his face. At first, Roland didn't want to let her do that, but she was persistent, and at last his hands, those killer's hands, came down, revealing haunted eyes which swam with tears. Susanna urged his face down against her shoulder. "'Be easy, Roland,' she said. "'Be easy and let it go. This part is over now. You passed it.' "'A man doesn't get past such a thing,' Roland said. "'No, I don't think so. Not ever.' "'You didn't kill her,' Eddie said. "'That's too easy.' The gunslinger's face was still against Susanna's shoulder, but his words were clear enough. "'Some responsibilities can't be shirked. Some sins can't be shirked. "'Yes, Rhea was there, in a way at least, but I can't shift it all to the coups, much as I might like to.' "'It wasn't her either,' Eddie said. "'That's not what I mean.' Roland raised his head. "'What in hell's name are you talking about?' "'Ka,' Eddie said." Ka like the wind. Now he gets his whole car back <laughs> in his face. <laughs> in their packs were... In their packs there was food. None of them had put there. Well, I mean, I don't see think I'll travel either, so... You know, a lot of things happened. Cookies with Keebler elves on the packages. Uh, Sarin-wrapped sandwiches that looked like the kind you could get... If you were desperate, that was, from turnpike vending machines, and a brand of cola neither Eddie, Susanna, nor Jake knew. It tasted like Coke, and came in a red and white can, but the brand was Nazala. (laughs) They ate. At one point, he stood up and raised his soda, smiled into an invisible camera. When I'm traveling through Land of Oz in my new Takoro spirit, I drink Nazala, he proclaimed. It fills me up, but never fills me out. It makes me happy to be a man. It makes me no god. It gives me the outlook of an angel and and the balls of a tiger. When I drink Nazala, I say, gosh, ain't I... Ain't I glad to be alive? I say, sit down, you bum hug. Jake said, laughing. <laughs> Ugh. Oh, I agreed. Mm. Th- th- thanks, uh, Eddie. We need a commercial for Nazala. <laughs> Eddie started to sit, and then the strange albino leaf caught his eye. So it must have been on the tree, and then draw- someone else must have picked it. Must have picked it up later from off the ground. I think it was Jake. Yeah, he picks it up at some point. Yeah. That's no leaf, he thought, and walked over to it. No, not a leaf, but a scrap of paper. He turned it over and saw columns of blah blah and yak yak and all the stuff's the same. Usually newspapers weren't blank on one side, but Eddie wasn't surprised to find this one was. The Oz Daily Buzz had been only a prop after all. Nor was the blank side blank. Printed on it in neat, careful letters was this message. Next time, I won't leave. Renounce the tower. This is your last warning. And have a great day. R.F. Below that, a little drawing, which is a cloud and a thunderbolt. Or lightning bolt, not thunderbolt. Yeah. I don't yeah. know why I said thunderbolt. But lightning bolt. There we go. <laughs> yeah, thunder doesn't generally get all the bolts, but... <laughs> ah! Things are hard, okay? Yeah. Eddie brought the note back to where the others were eating. Each of them looked at it. Roland held it last, ran his thumb over it thoughtfully... Feeling the texture of the paper, then gave it back. R.F., Eddie said. The man who was running TikTok? This is from him, isn't it? Yes, he must have brought the TikTok man out of blood. Sure, Jake said darkly. 
That guy Flag looked like someone who'd know a first-class bum hug when he found one. But how did they get here before us? What could be faster than Blaine the Mono, for cripe's sake? A door, Eddie said. Maybe they came through one of those special doors. Bingo, Susanna said. She held her hand out, palm up, and Eddie slapped it. In any case, what he suggests is not bad advice, Roland said. I urge you to consider it most seriously, and if you want to go back to your world, I will allow you to go. Roland, I can't believe you, Eddie said. This, after you dragged me and Suze over here kicking and screaming? You know what my brother would say about you? That you're as contrary as a hog on ice skates. I did what I did before I learned to know you as friends, Roland said. Before I learned to love you as I loved Elaine and Cuthbert. And before I was forced to to revisit certain scenes. Doing that has apparently lost us our knives. <laughs> he paused, looking down at his feet. He had put his old boots back on again, and thinking hard. At last he looked up again. There was a part of me that hadn't moved or spoken in a good many years. I thought it was dead. It isn't. I have learned to love again, and I'm aware that this is probably my last chance to love. I'm slow. Vinay and Court knew that. So did my father. But I'm not stupid. Then don't act that way, Eddie said, or treat us as if we were. What do you call the bottom line, Eddie, is this. I get my friends killed, and I'm not sure I can even risk doing that again. Jake especially. I... never mind. I don't have the words. For the first time since I turned around in a dark room and killed my mother, I may have found something more important than the tower. Leave it at that. All right, I guess I can respect that. So can I, Susanna said, but Eddie's right about Ka. She took the note and ran a finger, finger over it thoughtfully. Roland, you can't talk about that Ka, I mean. Then turn around and take it back again, just because you get a little low on willpower and dedication. Willpower and dedication are good words, Roland remarked. There's a bad one, though. That means the same thing. That one is obsession. She shrugged it away with an impatient twitch of her shoulders. Sugar pie, either this whole business is Ka or none of it is. And scary as Ka might be, the idea of fate with eagle eyes and a bloodhound's nose, I find the, I find the idea of no Ka even scarier. She tossed the RF note aside on the matted grass. Whatever you call it, you're just as dead if it runs you over, Roland said. Rhymer, Thorin, Jonas, my mother... Cuthbert, Susan, just ask them. Any of them, if you could. You're missing the biggest part of this, Eddie said. You can't send us back. Don't you realize that, you big galoot? Even if there was a door, we wouldn't go through it. Am I wrong about that? He looked at Jake and Susanna. They shook their heads. Even Oi shook his head. No, he wasn't wrong. We've changed, Eddie said. We... Now he was the one who didn't know how to go on how to express his need to see the tower, and his other need just as strong to go on carrying the gun with the sandalwood insets. The big iron was how he'd come to think of it, like in that old Marty Robbins song about the man with the big iron on his hip. It's Ka, he said. It was all he could think of that was big enough to cover it. Ka Ka, Roland replied. After a moment's consideration, the three of them stared at him, mouths open. Roland of Gilead had made a joke. Go, Roland. Go, Roland. <laughs> Just copying Eddie. I don't care. It's Roland. Roland never says anything like that. 
Well, this this was a really really important moment in the books because it is one of the like leading up from the first book to now every single time something has happened in their lives every single time just anyone has wanted to get away Roland has kept them there Roland has said it's Ka that you're on this journey you need to stick with it and Every, it could be something drastic or something horrible. And he still says, I'm going to do this. The tower is all I live for. And this is the first time that he officially just sits them down and goes, I might actually you know swear what? A off good the night's tower sleep. for you. A good night's sleep, he changes mind. I know, on. but still, <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Roland admits it to himself that they are more important than the tower in this moment. That if they wanted to turn around and go the opposite direction, he would go with them because he loves them. Except that really isn't true. I, shut up. We I know will, it ain't. I will believe in Roland in this moment. It just doesn't help that Eddie's like, gung-ho tower! Oh, he's got them on board now. Because now they've gotten amped up, and now that amps him up, and then it just changes again, okay? But I can believe in that little bit of Roland. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I don't mean to yell, puppy. I start. I didn't mean to be loud. Uh, there's one thing I don't understand about what we saw, Susanna said, hesitantly. Why did your mother hide behind the drape when you came in, Roland? Did she mean to? She bit her lip, then brought it out. Did she mean to kill you? If she'd meant to kill me, she wouldn't have chosen a belt as her weapon. The very fact that she had been had made me a present, and that's what it was. It had my initials woven in it, suggested that she meant to ask my forgiveness, that she had cha- had a change of heart. I don't know. This whole thing is a little weird. <laughs> I, it's weird. I know Roland at the moment is just kind of making excuses at this point. He really is. I don't... But it's weird. The entire situation is weird, because yes. it's just... But her was, hiding is weird. Yes, her hiding with a belt. Okay, she knows what he's been through as far as he just came back from a huge mission, okay? she ha- He has the big guns now. He has gunslinger instincts. Why would you think it's a smart idea to hide behind the drapes and then when his back is turned, come out? Why? Again, it's <laughs> weird. The whole thing's weird. Which puts... There's other things that work with this. Yes. Roland doesn't really want to admit that. There's other things at work in some manner. Hmm. Yeah, that's really all this is about. Yeah. Is that what you know or only what you want to believe, Eddie thought? It was a question he would never ask. Roland had been tested enough, had won their way back to the path of the beam by relieving that terrible final visit to his mother's apartment, and that was enough. I think she hid because she was ashamed, the gunslinger said, or because she needed a moment to think of what to say to me, of how to explain. So, yeah. he, he's trying Again, to... He's explaining it away. Yeah, he's, he's trying to tell him to himself that she was just hiding, because she was hiding. And then, of course, what happened to the ball? Yes. Jake asked. I don't know. I fainted. When I woke, my mother and I were still alone, one dead and one alive. 
No one had come to the sound of the shots. The walls of the palace were thick stone, and the wing mostly empty as well. Her blood had dried. The belt she had made was, made me was covered with it. But I took it, and I put it on. I wore that blood-stained gift for many years, and how I lost it is a tale for another day. I'll tell it to you before we have gone, for it bears on my quest for the tower. Do we ever get that story? I don't know. I assume it might be the same one as something along the deal with uh, Cuthbert and the whole situation, too. I don't remember. Yeah. But although no one had come to investigate the gunshots, someone had come for another reason. While, While I lay fainted away by my mother's corpse, that someone came in and took the wizard's glass away. Rhea, Eddie asked. I doubt she was close in her body, but she had a way of making friends, that one. Aye, a way of making friends. I saw her again, you know, Roland explained, no further. Ah, but a stony gleam arose from his eyes. Eddie had seen it before and knew it meant killing. Jake had retrieved the note from our... Uh, note from RF and now gestured it a little drawing beneath the message. Do you know what this means? I have an idea it's a sigil of a place I saw when I first traveled in the wizard's glass. The land called Thunderclap. He looked around at them one by one. I think it's there that we'll meet this man, this thing named Flag again. Roland looked back the way they had come, sleepwalking in their fine red shoes. The Kansas we came through was his Kansas, and the plague that emptied out the land was his plague. At least, that's what I believe. But it might not stay there, Susanna said. It could travel, Eddie said. To our world, Jake said. Still looking back toward the Green Palace, Roland said, To your world or any other. Who's the Crimson King? Susanna asked abruptly. Susanna, I know not. They were quiet then, watching Roland look toward the palace. Our world, Eddie thought, slipping an arm around Susanna. Our world now. If we go back to America, and perhaps we'll have to before this is over, we'll arrive as strangers in a strange land, no matter when it is. This is our world now. The world of the beams, and the guardians, and the dark tower. We've got some daylight left, he said to Roland, and put a hesitant hand on the gunslinger's shoulder. When Roland immediately covered it with his own, Eddie smiled. You want to use it or what? Yes, Roland said. Let's use it. They decide to leave the shoes. Mm -hmm. Leave them, Eddie said. They've served their purpose. Into your rocho girl. He put his arms around her and helped her in. All God's children have shoes, Roland mused. Isn't that what you said, Susanna? Well, she said, settling herself. The correct dialect adds a little soup con? I don't know. (laughs) A flavor, but you've got the essence, honey. Yes. Then we'll undoubtedly find more shoes, as God God wills it, Roland said. Look at the knapsack, take inventory of the food stuff that they had been added by unknowing hands, and held up a chicken leg in a baggie. Looking at it, then at Eddie... Who do you suppose packed this stuff? Eddie raised his eyebrows as if to ask Jake how he could possibly be so stupid. The Keebler elves, he said. Who else? Come on, let's go. It makes you wonder, though. Because it's like... It was them. 
If they traveled all this way unknowingly, I guarantee they packed all this too, unknowingly. So they just found a kitchen in the palace. On their way out the back door. (laughs) I don't know. Okay. Uh, It said, This line was nothing so obvious as a path, but to the awakened eye, the way that everything bent in the same direction was as clear as painted stripe. The path of the beam. Somewhere ahead where this beam intersected all the others stood the dark tower. Eddie thought that, if the wind were right, he would almost be able to smell its sullen stone and roses, the dusky scent of roses. We are Cotet, Eddie said. It crossed his mind to wonder at how much he'd changed, how he had become a stranger even to himself. We are one from many. Cotet, Susanna said. We are one from many. One from many, Jake said. Come on, let's go. Bird and bear and hare and fish, Eddie thought. With Oi in the lead, they once more set out for the dark tower, walking along the path of the beam. And that is the end of the chapter. The only thing that's left is a little, little, little excerpt from good old uh, Stephen King here. Which is really good. If It's like, if you... If you ever get a chance to actually read the books, which I hope you have been since you've been, you know, following along with us, make sure you read his before and after excerpts that he does because he always talks about little things that happened while he was working on the books or how important it is that, how important these books were to him mm-hmm. because it almost consumed him. Like, this was just. It took him forever to write certain books and there was huge gaps between. But these books just encompass everything, his entire career, pretty much. And they were so important to him. Yeah, this little one's from 1996. Yes. And he started these books in the 70s. He's, he took a yeah. long time. There's a little interesting little thing in there. It's like, you know what? I might actually finish this before <laughs> I die. So. Uh, but it was crazy because uh, I wish I had highlighted it. There are three more to be told, I think. Two set chiefly in Midworld, and one almost entirely in our world. That's the one dealing with the vacant lot on the corner of 2nd and 46th, and the rose that grows there. That rose, I must tell you, is in terrible danger. In the end, Roland's Cotet will come to a nightscape, which is Thunderclap. And to what lies beyond it, all may not live to reach the tower. But I believe that those who do reach it Will stand and be true. Aww. he's really sweet. I don't know. He just he's a he's a really good writer, and just how he goes in depth about for things. the most part. Yeah. he's a really besides good writer. In, besides endings, he's, um, certain things but, he doesn't do particularly well a lot. But uh, it said that uh, the story between Roland fighting his teacher, and it says. The less savory section of Gilead was written in the spring of 1970. The one in which Roland's father shows up the following morning was written in the summer of 1996. Although only 16 hours passed between the two occurrences in the world of the story, 26 years had passed in the life of the storyteller. Mm-hmm. It's like, holy because cow. one happened in the first book, and mm-hmm. then the second part didn't happen until the fourth book. Yes. And it was such a big gap between books. Yes. Or between, yeah, he just, he takes such big hiatus, except for the end. Because we get the, uh, what was it, we get 
six and seven. Because what, what do we have? We only have three books left. Yeah. So I think we get uh, Song Susanna in the last book are almost they come out yeah. like the same year, and then Wolf of Kala. Where did they say that comes out? It's right here at the back of the book. Uh, do they say coming? Yeah, no, two thousand three. Yeah, so between two thousand three and four, three books come out. So, and this book came out in nineteen eighty six. So he went from, he took him seven years to write, or technically, it took him the next seven years to basically write the next three books, to which all he published all of them within a year, no, between November fourth of two thousand three and November. Of 2004. Yeah, one year he, he published three books. Could you imagine? Finishing The Dark Tower. Like, I, I wish I would have found these books earlier. I don't know if I would have appreciated or really grasped or understood them as well as I do now. But could you imagine having to have had waited for some of these? No. Which is glad why yeah. I didn't have to. But I started reading these, I think, before he had ended up putting out the rest of the, yeah. the last three but I just, I, I just never got, I just kept not getting through everything. I don't think I started reading them until I was down here. Like, I had heard about them, but I hadn't really sat down and started. But I suppose before we should head out, we did tell you last time that we are going through the Wind in the Keyhole next. Wind through the Keyhole next instead of Wolves of Kala. And that because it's kind of all weird and we'd have to go through it and pick places to stop. But... Being that we are starting it next week, the very first part, which is the Stark Blast, is about 35 pages. And it will go from the Stark Blast to the Skin Man Part 1. So that'll probably be where we... Yeah, and there's, there's literally what, Skin Man Part 1 and 2 and the end of the book. Yeah. That's all there is, so... Well, there's the Skin Man Part 1, the Wind Through the Keyhole, which is most of the book, the Skin Man Part 2, and then back to the Stark Blast. Whatever. It's a weird <laughs> thing. We're going to read the first part yes. first. So, so just, if you're following along, just read Stark Blast up to Skin Man Part 1. That's so. what we're doing. Yes. Yay! That'd be the first time I've ever read this, so... I hope you like it, because I really enjoyed this one. I think it's just because it's it's another part of Roland's story, and I just like hearing about Roland. Well, I will, I will find out if you've led us astray or not. Oh, I I will always. <laughs> I don't care what your opinion is. I will always like this book. This all this book will always hold a special place. Oh, I'm red. Get there though. Oh, alrighty then. Well, join us next time. But as always, you can reach me at Stars Untraveled, reach a minute at KZ Pup, reach the show at Beyond Our Focus, everywhere, including YouTube and podcast services around the globe. Our Billy Bumbler is just going crazy today. Yeah, yeah. I decided to need to charge on up here. Any final thoughts before we bounce? I think we're good. Yeah, so join us next time for Wind Through the Keyhole. The first 35 pages, we'll enjoy it. It'll be fun, or I hope you'll enjoy it. I hope you guys have enjoyed our track through the Wizards in Glass. Yeah. (laughs) We're getting getting through these things. It's happening. Oh, the next book. I'm looking forward to this. I'm not necessarily looking forward to the Wolves of Kala. But this will be your first time rereading in a long time. (sighs) Yeah, I know. So, yay. Anyway, till next time! Long days and pleasant nights.